All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Manoush, the host of Note to Self, the show that looks at how technology is changing our everyday lives. Watch this space for new episodes coming soon. But right now, you are about to hear one of our most favorite episodes ever. If you're hearing it for the first time, enjoy. If you've heard it before, it might sound different with all the recent headlines about privacy, data, and democracy. There's a lot shifting right now. Meanwhile, if you want to discuss further or just be in touch, you can always reach me at Z M-A-N-O-U-S-H-Z, on Twitter or at ManoushZ.com. For now, thanks for listening. Oh, my God, it's 100 days on Snapchat. Ah, I just remembered that, Oh, my too. God. Oh, my God. What happens when a tech company designs an app that makes absolutely no sense to half the population – and triggers intense, some might say, compulsive behaviors in the other half. I'll tell you what happens. That company grows to be worth over $20 billion. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. This week, Snapchat and technologies that hijack our minds. How they work and how they're changing the way that we talk to each other. Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, and sometimes for very strange. So let's start this episode with how Snapchat actually works. For those of you who are completely clueless, and don't worry, you are not alone. If you want to see it again, you you hold down and you replay it. But you only get to replay it once. This is producer Megan Cunane, a millennial, teaching me and senior producer Kat Aaron, Gen Xers, what Snapchat actually does. But what if I want to go back and see things that she's posted? No, they only last 24 hours on the story. So I have to keep checking and keep checking and keep checking. Exactly. Kat and I could just never be bothered to figure out Snapchat. 40% of people in the U.S. aged 18 to 34, on the other hand, do use the app. Many of them like it because it's not about collecting followers or likes or favorites. It's more about talking one-to-one. Megan's 19-year-old brother, for example, only texts his friends through Snapchat. And there's no way to say this without sounding ridiculously old. He does something called streaks with them. He was like, I know someone with like 500, which means they've gone 500 days, like for 500 days, have snapped each other back. And that's the game of it. And they get, like, anxious when they don't. They ruin the streak, because if you miss one day, then it all goes away. Don't break the streak. Show that your friendship is worth it. So people who use Snapchat check it on average more than 18 times a day. And this was why when the company went public, it was worth more than CBS or Target or Delta Airlines. This is the opening bell. The person doing the bell ringing 
and CEO of Snapchat, Evan Spiegel. How? By instilling that old fear. The fear of missing out. FOMO. So I have to keep checking and keep checking and keep checking. Exactly. This Dude. is this is about like the ways that the habit formation is built into the design of the tool and that if you miss it, you've missed it forever. It's Ultimate it's like FOMO. FOMO. It's like FOMO by design. Yes, but that, they're not the first to do FOMO by design. Everybody's done it. They just might be the best. They and might have maximized the FOMO by design and that may be why the valuation is appropriate is. Yeah. because that fear of missing out is like a really human vulnerability, particularly if you're like 13. Human vulnerabilities and triggering behavior. Our guide to how tech companies do this by design is Tristan Harris. Um, so I'm Tristan, and uh, I used to be design ethicist at Google, and now I help lead a social movement called Time Well Spent. Tristan and Snapchat's founder, Evan Spiegel, both went to Stanford University. But after Tristan got his computer science degree, he went on to get his master's at the university's Persuasive Technology Lab. It's a lab at Stanford that teaches basically engineering students how to find the backdoors and tweaks and biases in people's minds and use it to create more engaging like tech products. Actually, my partner in my class was one of the founders of Instagram. So this is what you learn. So you need to know, is there a motivation in that moment to learn about something? How hard or easy is the ability for them to do it? And then is there a trigger to remind them to do it? Like many of his classmates, Tristan dropped out of Stanford to launch a startup. And it actually turned into a successful one. And just when Tristan should have been feeling on top of the world, he started having doubts. He started feeling conflicted that he was using his technological powers to control readers. Then Google offered to buy Tristan's company. They call it like an aqua hire, acquire, but really it was to hire Tristan. And he took the job joining the Gmail team. And his doubts about designing technology that sucked people into the web persisted. I was actually starting to get, especially working on email, like a little bit disenchanted because I was questioning when is email actually making life better? Mm -hmm. um, just because especially at Google, you're filled with calendar invites and email and just constantly flooded. So I kind of got the early version of this distraction problem that we're yeah. all facing. So Tristan came up with a presentation that laid out his concerns, mm -hmm. and he shared the document with just five of his fellow Googlers. It basically said never before in history have 50 designers working at three companies, Apple, Google, and Facebook, shaped how a billion people think every day. And we have this enormous responsibility to be careful about how we're steering people's attention and their choices. The presentation spread throughout the company. Five people, then 10 people, then 100, 300. And when I went to work on the bus the next morning, everyone had it open on their laptops. Tristan got called into some meetings at the top. Not to be fired, but to be offered to try out a new role at Google. I sort of switched my own internal title to a design ethicist to think about, you know, what does it mean to ethically steer so many people's attention and choices in the way that they basically see reality? Do you feel like you achieved much while you were in that role? 
I achieved a lot in terms of what I learned. I wasn't able to get a lot of changes through, mostly because of inertia. A lot of people think, oh, it's these evil corporations and they just want to maximize how much money they make. And it's really not about that. It's just this kind of inertia of everybody has a lot of things to do and there's, you know, the next version of Android or Chrome is already planned. And there's a million other things that are more important, things that might make us money, things that might get people to use it more. And that just comes first. With no real change in sight at Google, Tristan quit. And when we come back, what he went on to do and how it relates to Snapchat. Please continue to give Note to Self your full attention. We'll be right back. We're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is Note to Self, and we're talking about how our tech can be designed to make us act in wonderful and neurotic ways. Before we go back to Tristan, I want to introduce you to someone who thinks that Snapchat is amazing. My name is Cyrene Kiamko. On social media, I'm known as Cyrene Q. Cyrene is a Snapchat artist. Yes, that's a thing. When you open Snapchat, you see a camera first. It encourages you to create first. And it also, unlike other social media where if you post something and you don't get the likes, people kind of get sad about that. But on Snapchat, only you can see the likes. And so there's less social pressure to post on it. Cyrene started out on Snapchat by drawing celebrities into her selfies for fun. Her drawings got attention from actual celebrities, which then got her fans, which then got her kind of Snapchat famous. She started getting hired by brands to create Snap ad campaigns. Drawing on Snapchat on her phone is her full-time job. I worked with AMC and Coca-Cola. I took my followers on the theater, did some drawings, did some games. And at the end, I was like, join my popcorn and Coke party draw some popcorn and draw Coke on your hand. And so everybody was drawing the Coke logo like they were holding it just to join the popcorn and Coke party. Yet that kind of interaction with fans is exactly why Snapchat is worth so much money. And it's exactly what worries Tristan Harris. The last time Tristan was on this podcast, we dug deep into what's called the attention economy. This idea that we pay for the internet with our time and our eyeballs instead of our money. Back then, Tristan was still at Google. But since our interview, Tristan has left the company to found a movement. He calls it time well spent. If I'm Facebook or I'm Netflix or I'm Snapchat, I'm exceptionally good at getting your attention. I do it all day long. I can hold on to it. I can get you to come back. I have literally a thousand engineers whose job is to get more attention from you. I'm very good at this, and I don't want you to ever stop. If I actually even let go a little bit and turn down how persuasive I am, my competitor is going to swoop in and get that attention back. So I can't really let go of how much of the attention I get from you. And the CEO of Netflix recently said our biggest competitors are Facebook, YouTube, and sleep. <laughs> I mean, so, you, you know, there's a million places to spend your attention, but there's a war going on to get it. Let's imagine what a cell phone or what a Facebook would look like if it was actually helping us live out the life choices that we want. What would that look like? Please paint a picture for me. Let's say there's some kind of um, news article that comes up. And let's say the algorithm knows that it's a, uh, a very controversial article. And the current buttons are 
basically like, share, or comment. Those are the three choices. You're given a menu with three choices. Nowhere is on that menu, hey, do you want to call up this person and talk to them about it? But we should be figuring out how much would it cost us? Mm. How much would you be willing to pay for a version of Facebook that was entirely built to help you spend your time well, that just focused on information that was of reputable sources and quality? Where does Snapchat lay on the spectrum here in terms of the attention economy? Is it, on the one hand, it's kind of good, like messages disappear. Is it actually one of the better players? Well, each company does certain things better and other things worse. One of the examples of some, I think, really bad persuasive techniques, uh, which is right from the playbook that I learned at Stanford, is uh, snap streaks. It's basically this feature that shows you, next to the contact in your contacts list, next to your friend's name, the number of days in a row that you've sent a message back and forth. So, like, I send you a snap, you send me a snap, I send you a snap, you send me a snap. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Totally. So, you know, if you're a teenager, you probably have the number 150 next to some of your friends. So when you see that number there, it makes it really hard not to send a message to that person. People wake up in the morning, a lot of these kids, and they got to go through all of their contacts and make sure they send them a message. Now, you could say, so what's so bad about this? Because if I'm a Snapchat engineer... I'm saying, well, if you don't like the feature, like, you don't have to use our product. Sure. Right? Or um, what's the big deal? It's just, a, it's just a number. People can choose to ignore it. It's not up to us to choose. They can just choose to not pay attention to it. What all of this misses is that when Snapchat's doing this, their goals are not the same as your goals. Mm. They didn't invent this feature because it helps kids live the life they want. <laughs> they invented this feature because it hooks kids. And that's wrong. What's going through my mind is um, research that I've read about habit forming. Like yeah. one of the best ways to start exercising is if you mark it down on your calendar every day that you exercise and you see a chain and you don't want to break it. It's a great way to create a, a healthy habit. Exactly. And so there's places where you can use it where it would be good, but you would be choosing where you want to use it. So, for example, Duolingo, this language learning app, they ask you, what would be a time well spent streak for you in your life? I think they ask you like the number of days in a row or how many days a week you'd like to do it. So what you're saying is it would make me stop and be like, how much time can I really give to learning Spanish? Yeah. You know what? I think three days a week for 20 minutes, that would be progress to me. Right. And the most important thing is that they care about your freedom in mm. choosing this. I'm persuading you only in the way you want me to persuade you. Whereas in Snapchat's case, they're not asking you. So what are the chances that you can call up Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snapchat, and be like, dude, I want to just talk about this one thing? Well, I'd love to talk. I think, you know, what I find is that actually there's no one here in the industry who ever wakes up and has uh, any kind of malicious intention or actually wants to harm anybody. I've never met a single person. But technology is not neutral. You know, people say, for example, Oh, kids, they're just using this. And when right. we were this kids, this is just what kids do. This is what kids do. And, you know, when we were kids, we just called each other on the phone all the time or we hung out at the mall. And that's all true. What's different, though, is that your 1970s telephone on your wall was not being over the air updated every day by tech companies with thousands of engineers. It's not just that someone can update your phone to get you to use as much as possible, is that they can wire up this intelligent engine to it so it actually finds exactly what pushes your buttons hmm. in the perfect way. When you and I were talking about the attention economy a couple years ago, I was thinking more about, like, games like Candy Crush, sort of the addictive elements um, and all of these things. But now 
Why do you think we need to talk about news or fake news or real news or whatever? Why do you think news and the election have to now be part of this conversation? Because when one news website evolves a strategy called outrage, outrage is really good at getting Mm. your attention compared to a news site that doesn't evolve that strategy. So suddenly the web starts to move and sort of drift in this direction towards outrage. And then it's no longer just about offering information. It's about making sure I get your attention. I mean, fundamentally, the problem that this is all going to come down to is advertising, specifically in the form of attention advertising. It's like, I've got Manoush's eyeball, and I'm going to hold an auction. Who wants Manoush's eyeball right now? And if one advertiser is willing to pay more, but they're going to throw some fake news in front of me, and some other advertiser is going to pay less, but they're going to just offer some regular ad, Facebook's algorithm is going to put the fake news in front of you. So you're a technologist, you're a designer, you have a computer science degree. What are you suggesting? Well, I think there has to be a threat of future regulation or something like that. Or the moral imperative, that at some point you just realize this just isn't the world we want to live in, where you can't open the door to the internet without getting, you know, sucked into the internet. I mean, you open the internet, there's just this kind of craziness, there's this kind of fear. But, you know, when you turn off your phone and you walk around outside, like mostly the air is kind of crisp and fresh and you can take a deep (laughs) breath and you can walk down the street and that still feels kind of the same. to put together a list of apps that we think jibe with Tristan and our values here at the show, we'll put it on our website. That's at notetoselfradio.org. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Keegan Zima for his help, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. Well, I guess I'm doing it. I'm going to see if I can figure out Snapchat on my phone. This whole thing makes me feel like Andy Rooney. I have a lot of gadgets here in my office. I don't really like gadgets. I don't even like the word gadget.